Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Hey, everybody. It's good to see all of you. Uh, It's great to be together as we uh, are preparing for Easter. Today's Palm Sunday for those of you who uh, may not know that. Uh, This is the beginning of Holy Week as we prepare ourselves uh, for Easter. And one of the things that we're doing is we're providing a lot of ways for you to connect and to prepare yourself for Easter uh, on, our, on our app, on our website, on our social media. There's going to be devotions and readings and meditations all week long that deal with a different aspect of what happened uh, in Holy Week. In fact, the Gospels, 50% of the Gospels is devoted to this last week of Jesus' life as he prepares for the cross. And so part of what um, our aim in this is, is to help us do that as we prepare uh, to celebrate Easter. And my own personal posture has really been to sort of look and to try to just look at this through the lens of the cross and what Jesus was doing, what God was doing for us on the cross. We learned this last week that in the, in, on the cross in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. In the cross, on the cross, in Christ, God was reconciling you back into a relationship for which you have been created and for which you have been intended. And so what I did is I sat down on a note card and I just drew a little cross out uh, on the index card. And I just tried to say, God, help me see what it is that you are doing uh, on the cross, and what I realized that it was a just a fundamental demonstration of God's love for the world and for me, and trying to look at the cross through the lens of God's love and what the implications of that are. And last week we kind of identified these two categories from First Corinthians chapter uh, one. It says that the message of the cross, the message of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the very power of God. And so on one side you have, there's this sense of foolishness to those who who don't understand or who haven't received or this hasn't had effect. And on the other side, it says that it's the power of God. It's the power of God for those of us who are being, power of saved, power of God, power of God to those who are being saved. And so as I began to think of this, and you begin to see this, this sort of tension, there's the power of God on one side of the message of Christ, and then there's some other force at play in our foolishness, in our inability to see or our unwillingness to see, or something that keeps us from experiencing this. This is those who are perishing, and I'm going to just use this to put this out there for our sake. Those who live under the power of sin. Now, For some of you, when I say that, you immediately have an image in your mind, the power of sin. Because some of you know what the power of sin is. You know the hold, the grip, the claws, that some habit, some addiction, something that you have done or did, and it caused harm to relationships or to yourself or to your parents or to your kids. For some cases, it caused harm that is still of consequence today. 
It's something that has never been released. Some of you did something that can never be undone and you feel like the power of sin sort of holds sway over you in some really tangible ways. It's affected you deeply. Others of you, maybe if you were like me, um, what it did for me, especially as a kid, growing up, whenever I'd say, God, I'm committed to you, right? This is our surrender part. God, I'm committed to you. And then like the next moment, you do exactly the thing you promised you would never do again. And after you do that, say, 20 times, 30 times, 50 times, 100 times, 1,000 times, whatever your scorecard looks like, um, you begin to say, he could never forgive me for that again. And so we stop asking. We sort of stop asking. We just figure we're not supposed to be in this way. And so the power of sin has a grip on us in ways that we don't really understand or even know. And what I said last week were two important things. Uh, number one is that when we live, right, what, what, what the cross saves, those of us who are being saved, the cross is saving us from being or from living unloved. And so there's this idea that the cross is saving us from living separated or apart or feeling or the reality that we are unloved. And this is more um, pervasive than we think. And the second thing that we talked about that I think is really important is a lot of us think that the opposite of love is hate. And so we use this sort of this, these poles to try to discern how to love or how not to hate or whatever it might be. And that's not how the gospel presents itself. That the opposite, if you aren't governed, if you, if you aren't governed by love, something else takes place. And what we learned is that it is fear, right? Fear becomes the governing force when you live on this foundation or you live as one who is unloved. Fear drives everything else. So that's what I want to talk about. I want us to look at the cross through the lens of God's love. On the cross, God was reconciling the world to himself. He was calling you back to the reason for which you've been made. What we learn in the Bible, learn the very opening of the scriptures, we learn that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything was made at the pinnacle of this. He created mankind in his own image. And he invited us to participate as his image bearers in the creation in which he had made to contribute to that which he had made as a, as a part, as an image bearer of him, as one who's sort of like a chip off the old block. Now, I have two kids, uh, two daughters, and uh, I've, I've talked about this a lot and how my whole you know, um, world has kind of been uh, unsettled for a long time. And it happens, you don't really realize it until after it's too late. You're like, what happened to me? And I realized I raised two girls. That's what happened to me. And, um, but I'm, I'm starting to, to even the score. I've got a son-in-law now, Carson, who is super helpful. It's, a, it's awesome to have like another uh, tying vote or at least a, another voice to help bring some sanity to all the other insanity that sort of is in my household. And um, my, my two girls are, are very different. And I've told you this before that I, I spoiled them growing up. Um, I brought them coffee in bed and breakfast. I wake them up in the morning and I go in there. I bring them coffee and go, oh, good morning, beautiful. And I tell them this every morning. I tell them this every day. Oh, you're so beautiful. And I tell them why they're beautiful. And it's not just because they're good looking on the outside. I tell them about their character and about their compassion, about how they care for people. And I tell them all the things that I see in them. I tell them why I like them because I want them to know that they are loved. I want them to understand the relationship that they have with me and the love that I have for them is without condition in terms of their own condition, but it comes with a tremendous condition. 
The condition, the reason why I love them is not, when I say unconditional, it's not without merit or without reason. The reason that I love them is because they belong to me. And so if you raise your kids, right, if you really kind of, you're, you're working with them, what eventually happens is Michaela has, well, there's this picture, because I think about what does it look like to bear the image? There are all kinds of weird things that my kids do. My wife goes, that is just like you. But there are other ways in which our kids bear our image. I have a great picture that illustrates this. Check this out. This is my youngest daughter, Michaela. Chip off the old block. I don't know if you see your t-shirt yet. But it's a picture of me, and it says, Mike is my homeboy. So she wears this shirt out and gets a lot of, uh, obviously a lot of comments around it. And I thought, what is she doing? Like, what is she doing? Like, who does she think she is in this moment? Either, either she's like trying to really like, there's something really sarcastic going on, or she knows that she is loved, right? She knows that she is loved. Mike is my homeboy. We, we're together. This is, this is the way things are supposed to be. We're together. And so I want to get a picture of this because this is what God is doing for us, right? He is calling us back to this place, to this place of reconciliation where nothing separates us from him. Where we can look, and I don't know that I would say he's my homeboy, but you get the idea. There's a connectivity. There's a, a willingness to say, this is who we are. We're, we're, we're right. We're good. I know that I belong to him. That's what he's reconciling us to. So everything that keeps us from that has to do with this. And the way forward is the cross. And that's what I want to try and demonstrate for us today, okay? So here we go. Uh, Colossians chapter two. And there are a couple of passages that I'm gonna be using this morning that are, this one is one that I've read a thousand, read so many times. And I, I, there are parts of it that I really I understand and parts of it that sound very practical, but I don't get them. So I've been kind of milling on this and thinking about this for, for a long time. And I want to try and help you get a picture of what this looks like in real life for your life today so that you can sort of live with God in that same way and go, we are actually together and there is nothing that separates us. There's nothing that pulls me away from this thing that has already been done for me. And so here's how uh, Paul writes this in the book of Colossians. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. When you did not fit, when you were not presentable, when you were not apart, in a lot of places it says when you were enemies of God, when you acted in ways that were contrary, when you were in this condition, God made you alive in Christ. He did it. It was his work. He forgave us all of our sins. Now, if you're reading that or you're underlining your Bible, you might want to underline the word all. He forgave you of how many of your sins? All. Not just the ones that you remember. Not just the ones that you remember to say you're sorry for. He forgave all of them. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, having canceled the debt that we owed him, which stood against us, and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authority, and I would underline that phrase too, having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over, triumphing over them on the cross. So um, I mentioned last week that part of my uh, parenting experience has involved being an Uber driver 
and also Uber Eats. Um, for those of you who weren't here last week, so I get a phone call, particularly on a Saturday or a Monday when I have a day off, and it usually says something like this, hey, are y'all trying to bring me some lunch today? That's what it usually says. And I'm like, sir, are you asking me to bring you lunch, or what are you saying? Or it'll be in the afternoon, it says, hey, you really want some coffee today, because she'll be at work, and she's working hard, and I get all that. Um, and want some coffee, or want this, or, you know. So, for, I mean, ever since they were born, we've been taking them, we've been Ubering them everywhere, taking them before Uber was a thing. We took them everywhere they needed to be, both of them. Um, I used to pick my oldest daughter up in the pickup line at UNCW. I didn't know they had a parent pickup line at UNCW, but I'd go pick her up from something, take her to lunch. Or do, so it was just this constant thing. I, I, I may have ruined my kids. Um, but uh, this was the way it was. And so this past week, and I was, we were telling this because things eventually pay off. Uh, last week, Wednesday afternoon, um, I was sitting in my office working. It's been a long day. And my youngest daughter texts me and says, hey, dad, you want some coffee? I'm like, of course I want some coffee. So she brings me some coffee. And so she, uh, she uh, texts me and gets my order, and I take it to her. I mean, I, uh, I text her my order, and she texts me about 10 minutes later. She's going to drive it by the back, back here where my office is. She says, Dad, come out your office door, and I got your coffee for you. So I came out there, and she's got a big smile on her face. I'm like, oh, yes, coffee. And I said, hold on. Now you only owe me 7000 227. <laughs> what just happened? She's like, I don't know if I'm still your homeboy or you're my homeboy. Something happened. Something broke. So if I do that once and she believes it or gets in her mind every time she does anything, there's going to be a question. You know what that question is? Is this enough? Will this count enough? Will this matter enough? Will this be? It is no longer, he's my homeboy. It's now, do I measure up? Something now stands in the way of that. And you know what it is? It's the debt. It's the ledger sheet. This is how so many of us have treated our sins for so long. Every time you do something, you're like, oh, I can't, I can't, really, I can't really be right with God because look, look, I mean, there wouldn't be this many tick marks on my list. So every time you do something for him, you're hoping God will give you a credit for that in order to do something. This is because we learn, we live on this foundation of being unloved and we don't even know it. When I began to think about this, I thought, what is our response to love? Typically, when someone does something for you, when someone does something for you, our typical response isn't to receive it, to trust it. It's like, what's up with you? What do you want from me? Sort of as we grow older, and I don't know how exactly this happens, it happens in a myriad of ways. We begin to get a little suspicious of people. We begin to wonder why they're doing something. Or for some of you, people have done things for you, but something has happened where you feel so unworthy that you never receive it. You actually, in fact, what happens is you just sabotage anything good that's happening to you because deep down inside, something has crept in, something is keeping you from receiving or trusting or believing that there's something about you that is worthy. And the same reason I tell my kids they're beautiful and I love them every day is the same reason that God put his son on the cross for you. Because he wants to assure you, he wants to demonstrate for you that you are loved. And what love does is remember this, love breathes worth and it breathes value into your soul. We've been using this definition, love breathes worth. It's the force that breathes worth and value into your soul. That somehow you've got to make sure that you're getting this because what a lot of us do, right? A lot of us in our sense of unworthiness, we always refuse 
love. We kind of keep everybody at bay. We learn that we can't trust anybody. So we, we just kind of keep everything. We refuse sort of love and that we won't receive love because you think that you're unworthy. Others of you, right, you know that you are worthy of loving. You're just waiting for someone to give you enough of it, for someone to finally recognize how good you really are. And so no one's ever good enough for you. And so you, it's the same resistance, just two sides, opposite sides of the same coin. It's the same resistance. And we live like this because why? Because for some of you, you're, you feel so that you're never going to drive worth and value for anything that you've ever done. So you continue to remain worthless. And others of you, you derive all of your worth and value from the things that you do. And what you do in that moment is when you derive your worth and value from the things that you've done, you do not need love and you'll never receive it because you already have worth and value for somewhere else. And here's the problem. When you make your occupation or you make anything that you're pursuing, when the things that bring you a sense of worth and value, they will ultimately become your identity. And when people start tinkering with the things that you've identified with, the things that you've identified yourself as, when people start pushing on those things and those are the source of your worth and value, you will come unglued. This is what is happening in our souls. This is the plight of unlove. This is what happens to us when we, when we feel this way. And when I began to think about this, when I look at this, what I want us to understand is that every longing at its core, right? We have the deepest parts, human beings are longing for love. And this is just what I think of as sort of the love logic or the God logic. And that in the cross, God demonstrates his love. And in order for him to demonstrate his love for us, because he is love, he had to put himself on the cross for us. That's what's important about this. God is love. And so in the cross, he is reconciling the world to himself. He is taking what we are made for himself and what we have been, what we long for, and he is bringing them together to reconcile us into the relationship for which we have been made so we can smile with our shirts on and go, yep, we're together. I belong to him. And there is no separate. There's nothing that holds us from that. The cross is a demonstration of the love of God and it is also the reconciliation of our life with him. It's both of those things. It's an invitation to us. It's what has been made available for us. Now, as I think of this, I want to give you a couple of things to consider because the way we refuse love is not always rejecting. I used to think that when I was trying to process this, that like if, if, when I would try to justify myself with God or when I would try to wrestle with why I'm struggling with certain things, I would always say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not an atheist. Like, I don't not believe you. I just didn't understand what was missing. I didn't understand what was missing. I had a lot of language growing up that I'd heard and, you know, kind of tried to understand, but I didn't really understand what it meant or how to actually address it. To refuse love looks a couple of different ways. Number one, as we refuse love, we're building on this foundation of unlove when we deflect love. Someone says, oh, that outfit is so adorable. No, your outfit is so adorable. No, yours is, yours is like really adorable. Oh, well, yours is like to die for. So it says, oh, you're so awesome. No, you're, you're so awesome. No, you're, you're awesomer. Oh yeah, well, you're even awesomer than awesome, right? And what are you doing? Because like, we live in this chronic affirmation culture. Everybody's trying to like out-affirm one another. And all we're doing is deflecting things. It's because we build on a foundation of unlove. We don't know how to receive a compliment. We don't understand how to, how to say, how to say, wow, I'm glad that you saw it in me. I'm going to receive that. 
I'm, I'm glad that you see that in me. I'm going to receive it. I'm going to take that into me and I'm going to believe it. I'm going to actually believe what you see in me. Because more than likely, when you put that outfit on, that's what you were hoping someone would say to you. And you feel like you have to pretend like you weren't, right? It's like, well, now what? Really? That's what you were looking for exactly. And what it is, it's your quest for attention that is substituting for what you're actually looking for. It is okay to receive someone's encouragement or affirmation into you. You don't have to deflect it. If you deflect by trying to out-affirm them, it's a sign, it's a symptom of living as one who is unloved. The second one is when you feel like you have to earn or prove this. That whenever someone does something or you're in a relationship and you feel like if you don't do this, you're going to get tick marks against you. That you haven't lived up, you haven't demonstrated that you are worthy of whatever it is that they are doing or saying to you. Those are all signs. The other one is paying back. If someone goes to lunch, takes you to lunch, and they purchase your lunch, and you're saying, I'll get you next time. It's a sign that we're operating, and we do this in a million ways, not just in a million ways. It's a sign that we're trying to like keep sort of some kind of score. What, what, I've, what I've been doing and what I've learned to do, and I have some friends, we did this actually a couple weeks ago, but whenever someone does something for you, you try to go, oh, no, no, no. And you just go, just say, I'll receive that and be quiet, right? Because that's what we say. Just say, I'll receive that. I'll receive what you have done for me. And what you're doing is you're acknowledging that someone saw something in you, that they breathed worth and value into you. And so what you are doing is you are actually going to trust them in that. And most of us have no space in our lives to do that. We're just bouncing from one thing to the next. To stop and receive. Have you ever really, we think about receiving God's love for us. If God has breathed worth and value into your soul, if he is a force that breathes worth and value into your soul. And most of us go, oh, we try to figure out why or how this could be. And there is no answer to that question. There, actually, there is an answer to the question. It's one simple question. The same reason God loves you is the same reason I love my kids because they belong to me, period. When God loves you, it's not without condition. It's not like, ah, oh, you know, I kind of, eh, you know, I, could take, I guess I'm good. I'll just have to pick you too. It's like he made you for himself and he sees and he is reconciling the world to himself on the cross. This is why we have to look at it, to stare at it, to consider it. It has a power it has a power for us, available to us. In 1 John 4, it says this. It says that if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, and what this means is if anyone acknowledges, the other word people use there is confess. Acknowledge isn't just intellectual assent. Acknowledge is, is submissive. It says that I'm going to understand. If we believe that Jesus is who he says that he was and did what he says, said that he would do. If we acknowledge that he is that person, what happens? God abides in us and we abide in him. If we trust and believe, if we, if we understand, if we look and we acknowledge, we say yes to that, we receive that. What happens is that there's this reconciliation. What he said he was doing on the cross actually happens. God abides in us and we in him. And then it goes on, it says, and so we know in the context of this relationship, right? We got, we're connected. And so in this, we know two things. 
We know the love that God has for us. We know the love that God has for us. And number two is we have learned to rely on the love God has for us. How in the world do you rely on the love that God has for you? How do you do that? Most of us, like, I don't know how many of you guys have a reliable car or not. Um, some of you probably, most of you probably do. Some of you probably don't. I have a 1989 Volvo station wagon, 740 GL. It is super smooth. It's got 360 plus thousand miles on it. The right passenger window doesn't work. Uh, the radio finally started working. It's a miracle. Uh, I don't know. It just came on one day. And in fact, if you get in my car, um, the gas needle looks like it's always on empty until you flick the dashboard. When you flick it, all the gauges work. It's really cool. But it is reliable. Let me tell you how I know it's reliable. I don't second guess it. I don't, every time I get, because some of you have, you've had a car, I used to have a car like this. So it's like every time you had to go somewhere, you're like, oh, my car starts. And you always feel that sense and you have to like give extra time because if it doesn't, you have to go, zhoo, 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 and you have to get out and you have to like kick it or you know, bow to it or stroke it or whatever you do to get it to crank because you're not really sure what to do to get the thing to work. It's not reliable. So let me tell you, when Michaela brought me coffee, I don't think she thought there was a scorecard. She just brought me coffee. Hey, dad, would you like coffee? She just brought it to me. And what she knows is that there is a reliability to our relationship, something that she can trust and something that she can depend on. And when she brings me coffee, she's not trying to keep score or earn brownie points or do anything else. She just brings me coffee because she knows it makes me happy. I'm going, oh, this makes me so happy. Thank you so much. And what she did, she offered something to me, for me, in a way that I just simply received. And I think this is exactly when we offer our bodies. We're not offering so we get brownie points. We're offering, he says, yes, yes, I made you for myself. This is how we're supposed to actually be. He celebrates with us. Our faith brings pleasure to him. When we trust him, it brings pleasure to him to know and rely on the love that he has for us. Do you know what that means to rely on the love that God has for you? It means you do not have to get your worth and value from anywhere else. That's what it means. This frees us. This frees us enormously because now we don't live under this sense of condemnation, this sense of shame, this sort of hesitancy. If this is going to be enough, if our scorecard's right, all that goes away. And the more you learn to rely on him, the less that's going to plague you, the less it's going to plague you. The power of sin is a real thing. It is what keeps us separate. I want us to read this again. It says, for when you were dead in your sins, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, in other words, there was nothing in us that had or was inclined towards or was able to bring anything to him. It says that God made us alive in Christ and he forgave all of our sins. He forgave them. Have you received that? Without trying to justify why you either, well, God, you understand, you know, you understand, or this wasn't really as bad. Instead of just receiving what he has done for you, to trust what he has done for you, he has forgiven us of all of our sins. Having canceled out that stinking charge that causes you to feel guilt and shame and condemnation all the time. He has canceled. He took that thing which stood against us and kept us condemned. You know what condemnation is? Condemnation is the reminder that you should be ashamed of yourself. And some of you live in that 
all the time. And what I want for us to be clear, what I want us to think about, because what it goes on to say, say is that he took these things, this, this power of sin that stands against us, and he did something with it. What did he do? He took it. And I just want us to see this and to think about this. He took this, and it says that he nailed it to the cross, and then doing so, try this again. This is why I'm not a carpenter. And in doing so, it says that he disarmed its power. He disarmed its power such that, such that you never have to worry about this again. That's what he did. The reason I want you to get a picture is because most of us think that he took, oh, that lie or that bad word or that bad thought, and that's, there's like a bunch of nails up there. Nope. He took all of it, the whole entire system, and he put it on the cross, and it was finished, and it was done once and for all. Now, the other thing I didn't put up here, the other way you can rest assured that if you lived or that you're living on the foundation of unlove is if you take advantage of the goodness of another. It's so funny. This is where we always run, right? Well, man, if God's just, if his grace just covers everything, how in the world or what? How in the world is ever going to keep you from doing bad things or keep you from sinning or keep you from doing things? Because there's a whole other force that is at work. The rule of God's love is the power of God that has made you perfect and ensures or causes you to continue to be made holy. For those of us who are constantly living and walking in this way, the cross is the power of God because it is the demonstration of his love. So there are a couple of things. You can continue to keep concealing your deep sense of unworth of living unloved and pursuing validation and worth and value in school or in your job or in your relationships or in how good you look or the cars you drive or the stuff you have, you can continue to do that. How many likes you get on social media, you can continue to do that. You can even find sort of regular, like uh, valid measures to get affirmation from other people, but it will not touch that longing in your soul for which you have been made. And this isn't gonna happen because you nod your head and agree with it. It's going to happen because you take a moment and you receive it and you trust it and you believe what God says when he says, right? The reason I can say with confidence that love is a force that breathes worth and value into your soul is because God himself is love and therefore he is the one for which you have been made and he breathes worth and value into your soul therefore causing you to become once again what you were created to be, to reconcile you to the relationship for which you have been made. The power of sin, the power that sin holds to rob you of your true worth and your true value is nailed to the cross. And the power of the cross is the reality that you are free to live as one who is loved.
That's we're going to celebrate at Easter. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this time, and I want to just thank you for the cross. Father, my prayer in this moment is that as we are gathered, um, there's, a, there's a place, a space in us that we still need to strive or push or earn. It's in us. It's in us deep. And God, yet you have said you've nailed that to a cross, what I, what I, to your cross. What I ask is that you would give us space to receive that, to take it in, to trust, to believe it such that it brings a sense of worth and a sense of value into our soul, breathes it into us by the power of your spirit. God, I ask you to do that. So I just ask you to meet us in this moment. I lift all these things to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who is our King. Amen. I just know you're looking at your watch. You're going, oh, we get out early. No, we're not. Um, here's the way. Most of us never get space in our weeks to really receive or to trust or to contemplate the love that God actually has for you and to let it breathe worth and value into your soul. In the opening line of the song, we're going to just kind of take a few minutes. We're going to worship together. I think it's so powerful for us to do that. But the opening line of the song says, the cross is my beginning. It's a line drawn in the sand. It's the end of all my striving. Because I've been born again. There's a new thing that's been created. It's the end of all your striving. Some of you are so driven and you feel so much pressure all the time. And, and it's not because you're trying to do a good job. Somehow it's attached to your value and your worth. And I want for just a minute for that to kind of dissipate and to feel what it is like to have the fullness of love breathed into your soul and to be affirmed and to be um, reminded of the worth and the value that you have because you have been made by God and you've been made for Him. And it's the end of our striving. And just for a few minutes, let's just let that be our posture as we worship together. Brian, Olivia, and Ryler are gonna lead us for just a few minutes. Y'all can stand as we do that. <laughs> 